Welcome to episode six of the Wrexham Legends Lounge podcast with myself, Andrew Pollard, in association with Hill Street Social. This week is part two of a fascinating all-covering chat with Gareth Owen. Talk about his time at the town, obviously, 12 years as a pro, time as a YTS, and, and also before that in the youth system. So, so much to talk about with Gareth in that regard, but also his career after that, moving to Doncaster Rovers, moving into the League of Wales, winning the League of Wales, moving into management, moving into coaching, and being, a, I guess, a technical advisor of sorts for the Welsh FA as he is now. So there's so much more to come from Gareth in this chat but also he'll be picking his all-time Wrexham 11 and as mentioned 12 years as a pro there there's a lot of players to pick from of his all-time Wrexham 11 the players he's played with so loads to come here it's a great listen it's a, it was such a pleasure to do with a massive thanks to Gaz uh, for giving us so much time but if you're listening to this be sure to uh, to subscribe on all your podcast platforms it is just by searching for Wrexham Legends Line podcast Wrexham Legends Lounge Podcast. Easy for me to say. Who picked a stupid name like that? <laughs> um, also, find us on YouTube at Wrexham Legends. Um, plenty more to come from us in the coming weeks. But yeah, here's Gaz. We should, we'll start to get towards the end of your Wrexham time. I'm, I'm going to try and wind this up. So I've kept you for ages. And there's still there's still so much to get through. I'm looking at all the notes I've got here and the questions I've got here. And there's some fan questions to come up. And you'll be picking your all-time Wrexham 11, which I'm dying to Wrexham. see that. Yeah, the pressure's massively on with that. And no no cop-outs like Mark Cartwright, who, who picked the squad. That was that, no, that was a one-off. Uh, but you, you get to play your testimonial against Man United. They come to the race course. It'd be a packed house of, what, I think, like 14,000, 13,500, whatever it'd be. Um, how was it to... Because we don't really see testimonials in football these days uh, anymore. Largely, I guess, because some players don't stick around that long. But how was it to have that recognition from a full race course coming um, to see you to, for your game, your your moment there. And also, what was it like to have my United come, like you're the team you grew up supporting? Yeah, it's mind-blowing. I, I couldn't think of another word for it. And when, you know, you, all the things you mentioned tonight, how lucky were we to, as, as people and, you know, as footballers to go through the times that, that we've that we've experienced? Um, well, what is, you know, it's when, actually, not Premier League club, we were a, a lower league club at the time. We had some relative good success, but, um, yeah, it was again mind blowing. I said I use the word. There isn't another word for it to to sum it up. Um, I still look back at it now, and I I still go back. And I even now I would go around and try and find out who them fourteen thousand people were, and just say thank you for coming. You know, that's that's I think that's the least you can do. Um, and I tried to do that on the night. You know, I I remember signing home team autographs, sort of walking around the outside of the pitch after the game, and um. It, it was, um, yeah, it was mind-blowing. I think Darren, um, you know, I, I can't thank Darren enough and I still thank him to this day for sort of organising it with us. I remember him bounding up the path at Collier's um, and this was, you know, a testimonial year, so it ran from August to August. Yeah. And we got yeah. to March, something like that, and we, we had started, got a game, we'd had sort of teams had agreed and then pulled out. And um, we signed Darren in, in the January, if I'm right, in the window maybe, or, the, or he came at that time uh, and signed but um, yeah this was probably two months after he'd signed and I remember him bounding up the path in that deep Scottish accent it was my, my, my old man's going to send a team over and I went what, what do you mean well, I'm, I'm lost what do you mean he's going to send a team for your, for your uh, testimonial I sorted it with him spoken to Mike Phelan they're going to send a team over oh my god my, <laughs> I think I went straight to the toilet and just like I couldn't get my head around it, you know. I stood in toilets for a while, thinking, "Wow, you know what? Uh, you know what a man first of all for for doing that, going away and speaking to his old man uh, to, to to just try and get somebody over, whoever it was from Man United." 
Um, and then they, they sort of, you know, they released it in the press and the euphoria started to, to build up from the end of the season, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Um, for, for me, I just, I, I, yeah, I couldn't take my mind off that August the first sort of date that United were going to come over, and, and obviously thanks to Flinney and the club for agreeing it as well. And um, yeah, before you know it, the date's there. I think um, I remember the night arriving, and it was packed more than usual. Obviously, from a from a playing perspective, we used to have sort of a spec you'd have or a part of the car park you parked, and that was all full. Um, so we were, we were pushed elsewhere. Sky Sports were there on the night, I think, because um, they were doing something with, um, I think they were doing something at the ground, they're doing something with United. So they came over as well. And it was just, it was just crazy. Absolutely yeah. crazy. Um, got mobbed coming from, from the car going in. Um, and, you know, the, the attention you sort of get on a night like that was pretty overwhelming. Um, and then you're in the changing rooms, all the kits out and you can see your name on the shirt. And then, Obviously, the team talk starts, and it's a bit of a blur. I'll be honest. I try to tell myself to enjoy every second of it, which yeah. which I did. But it's yeah, it becomes a bit of a blur on the night. Um, and then after, you know, you're upstairs. Um, yeah, leading into the game, Giggs announced that he was going to be captain for the night, um, and that wasn't released until the to the uh, the Friday, the Friday leader. So I think up until then, there was about seven seven and a half, eight thousand tickets sold. <coughs> As soon as he announced he was he was going to be captain on the night over that weekend, it just doubled the attendance. Um, but yeah, you know the after the game he was in the bar and you know he came up and just said, you know congratulations on tonight and you're sort of pinching yourself and you're thinking this is Ryan Giggs stood in front of you oh my god you can't you sort of believe that this man sort of uh, is sort of stood here but um, you know he said oh, you know I wish us best of a future best wishes for the future and uh, and all that and. Uh, I thanked him for coming and, yeah, a few speeches after the game, as you, yeah. you know, was a, a great uh, talker still aren't, but wasn't a great talker then. And I think it's just the emotion of everything, Andy, on the night that you, I think I said on the at the time, you know, I wasn't really an emotional person until tonight. And you see something like that happening, you just can't, you can't get your head around it. It's, um, yeah, mind-blowing. I'll go back to the word. Yeah. D did you get a chance to speak to uh, Sir Alex as well? Do you know what I pulled? I, I say I pulled him. <laughs> pull him. <laughs> That's a different story yeah, for played, a different time. Yeah. We, play <laughs> <laughs> we played Barry away a couple of weeks after, and he was watching. Um, and I just went up, introduced myself, and I just said, "Look, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for sending a team down, agreeing um, for United to come down and play like, a couple of weeks back for the testimonial." Oh, you're right, son. Was his was his words? You know, just that's all he needed to say. Don't worry about it, son. Um, so what you know, he had this aura around him. I was really worried about going up and, and speaking to him, but I said, you know what, I won't forgive myself if I don't go up and just say thank you. Yeah. Um, so I did it, and, and it was fine in the end. Like I, um, you know, I got on the bus and I said to Darren, I just spoke to your man. I just said thanks for sending the team down, and uh, really appreciate it. And he said, oh, that's great, thanks. So, you know, he'd, he'd appreciate that. Um, I saw today it was advertised, wasn't it? His his documentary is coming out next month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy open for you. Is it June the sixteenth of summer? Um, might actually be May, but yeah, you know what? I saw the trailer and I've got I had goosebumps from the trailer watching it. So um, yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah. Well, he's, I, I like like uh, by the sounds of it, his old man's a class act, but Darren as well. <laughs> 
very much a class act. I remember when, obviously, when the shit started to hit the fan with with the, the takeover with Alex Hamilton, Mark Gutman came in, and I, yeah. I, I remember vividly. I think it was uh, Alex Hamilton came out and just basically rinsed uh, Darren in the press for saying like, well, you know, he's on X amount of wages a week. And the very next day, it seemed like it came out where Darren went, okay, right, okay, I'll take a pay cut, no worries. And it was just like, fine, yeah, I'll do well, so, what I can to help the club. And then yeah. there's, there's still that thing amongst Wrexham fans, <laughs> like, what if, because Brian Carey seems like a lovely fella, um, legendary player for us, kept us up that season with the, the Boston game. But there's always that what if, that if Darren would have took over then instead of Brian, um, and I mean, it wasn't just that Darren Ferguson didn't take over as manager, it was he left as a player um, at that point in time, because by, from, I don't know, reading the tea leaves, it seems like he wanted, he wanted a job, he wanted certain control over certain elements, and they weren't willing to give him that in the end, and Brian was okay with that, and you just think, what would have happened if we'd have had Darren Ferguson in charge uh, to, to this, like, where would he be now? But again, it's a what if, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it'd be unfair for me to comment on it. Really, it, it I don't like the term, but it was what it was. You know, Brian took over, and it didn't it didn't work out ultimately. And um, I think you you know we, we lose at the moment. You've seen a lot of the the um, we've lost what Dean did for the club as a player. Yes, uh, absolutely. the amount of abuse he's got online, he's been quite vocal with it, hasn't he? And quite public with it. We lose what people you know, do for the clubs as players, and. and I don't mean that in in um, you know that the, the everyone should be held up on some kind of pedestal, but um, I suppose what I mean is that you know Brian spilt, spilt blood. I was there with him. Brian, you know, broken bones for for it, and you do it all as part of your job. But let's you know try and remember Brian. I care, I suppose, for, for the player he was. It's difficult, isn't it, when a, a an ex player takes over as a manager and things yeah. don't work out. Um, you know, with, with Andy, we saw Andy Morrell, We saw some relevant success there, and. Um, you know that ninety-eight point season. I think we're we'll still oh, ridiculous. We won't get a head around it. We'll... Ridiculous with that. Um, but I guess Brian Hughes, another one where that happened. Where there's some some people that forget Brian Hughes, the player. And it's like to to me. I mean, if you're going to be picking your Wrexham eleven at the end of this, uh, it's, if I'm picking my Wrexham eleven for my time watching it, both Brian Carey and Brian Hughes are both in that. Both great yeah. players for us. Brian yeah. Hughes are probably arguably technically one of the probably could be the best player I've seen play for Wrexham. But a yeah. lot of players just judge it on. The, what they saw as a, well, a lot of fans judge it on what they saw as a manager and and not just that first season but then obviously what would lead to yeah. leaving the club and it's it's a shame that people lose that perspective and the same with Dean Keats because Dean Keats was a hell of a player for us as, as captain in that midfield yeah. just just tenacity classy <clears throat> just the the um again you talk about awe of someone like Alex Ferguson Dean Keats had that awe about him on the pitch where he just he seemed to bring players up around him as well which it's like yeah. a, an immeasurable um, ability to have. If you've seen both, there's no excuse. If you've seen if you've seen Brian as a player and Brian as a manager, there's no excuse. If you've seen just Brian as a manager, I, you know there's still no excuse. But at least you've got something to go at them with. Whilst crossing the line, there's still no excuse for. But yeah. you, you know, you're disappointed in things. Everyone's a football manager. Everyone's a coach. Everyone would do it the way that they would do it. Which you, there's no other job in the world is the where people look over your shoulder and. You know, for, on a track in Airbus, no one's over your shoulder going, mate, that pole's too big there. It's two millimetres too big. Yeah. Um, there's no one criticising you. Is, is the, so, yeah, football, I think, is one of the few, you know, uh, anything like that when you're in the public eye, I think, uh, and, and opinions and, um, yeah, everyone's everyone's got them, haven't they? Everyone's got their rights to them, by the way, as well. And um, I just think things are done in the wrong way a lot of the time. Yeah. Aren't they? And people forget. People have got short memories. 
um, and forget what's gone on in the past. Yeah, very much so. Well, before we just one last question about Wrexham before we move on to because there, there was a career after Wrexham. Even if your wife thought you retired after after you left Wrexham, <laughs> there was a career. Um, one game that has to be brought up is the Burnley away. Um, Gareth Owen, a goalkeeper extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it was nuts to think about um and obviously that was i think it was mark wilson's debut uh that one because he, he'd come on and he'd get the winner and we we obviously go on to we win with 10 men and you in goal and um it's one of those kind of you can never i don't know if you're trying to come up with like some imaginative football scenario it's one of those you probably never even come up with where we've got the the lad from my united comes on loan comes off the bench gets the winner but before that the, the keeper goes off you uh end up uh, uh, I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, our, um, it's not like we've got a six foot five centre midfielder going in nets. Um, it's no. it's your good self, um, and you had a stormer. Um, what like why were you in goal, um, and and how what were your memories of that game? Oh, you're gonna laugh, mate. So when I started playing football, I was I probably fancied myself as a bit of keeper at eight, maybe nine years of age. Yeah, on the drive at, at my mum and dad's house in goal on the pitch over the school of golfing CP at the back of us anything with me older brothers in goal. Um, guys, you're five foot eight, mate. I don't care. <laughs> I'm still going to go in goal. Um, and, it, you know, obviously, the I, I then started playing as a centre-half. Uh, centre so my first sort of position was as a central defender um, for these side primary schools, which is probably the first representative team I played for. Um, and in school as well as, as a centre-back. And then they obviously saw something in me to, to release me into midfield and, you know, never look back. I think once I got in and started playing in midfield, I never looked back. But going in goal was it was always something that I, I thought I, you know, I do irrespective of, of height. I think you just want to prove I want to prove people wrong. Yeah, you want to yeah. prove people you can do something. Or um, uh, Andy Morell said the same thing about Jay Harris. He was his number, you know, his, his goalkeeper. Yeah, I think he said that was it the weekend. He said that when he was on commentary. Yeah, like. <laughs> Yeah, so that story came out over the weekend that Jay Harris was, was Andy Morell's sort of goalkeeper. So Jay, Jay Harris is probably maybe an inch taller than me at 5'9 or something like that, but must be something about midfielders that fancy themselves as keepers. But um, yeah, that night, obviously shepherded and, and defended by four Goliaths in front of us. I think it was Mark McGregor, Brian, I mean, Tony and H, or Mel, Mel Pedrick and, and H. Um, sorry, memories, again, not what it used to be, but... Um, you know, I remember Burnley sort of the first two minutes, three minutes of them uh, of Mark going off. They had a free kick on the on their left, right? So our, our right hand side, they put it right under the bar. I've caught it, <laughs> took a step back, but put the ball over the line, you know, as if you would as if you yeah, were yeah. keeper. Because I was I was falling backwards, but took a step back, ball over the line, and then stepped forward. So the good ball hadn't crossed the line. Burnley fans are going mad, it's gone in, he's dropped it or whatever. And dropped it. No one, no one here did it cross the line. Um, so a lot of the time, I, because you feel comfortable with the ball at your feet, I think I'm just dropping it out of my hands, you know, and, and pinging balls off the off the floor and not using my hands so much. But um, yeah, I remember Bright set. So um, we went one 0 up, didn't we? Yeah. Then it was one each. Then I went. Yeah. Then I went in goal. Mark came on. Um, yeah. So. Second half, we were, we were so we've got the, I've got the Burnley fans behind me, and I'll never forget some bloke every thirty seconds or so. I'm going to get you, fatty. 
that's all he kept saying. And, and yeah, I, I, I was carrying a little bit nowadays, but back then, yeah, I was probably a rugby player's bill playing football. And they get you fatty every, every minute or so. And it rang in my ears. And I'm thinking, right, anything that comes in, it ain't going in this net, right? So they're breaking down the right-hand side. I can see all our defenders coming back. I'm trying to get a decent position. The ball skidded across. I'm not joking. He's pinged it across the floor. I dive forward almost flat out onto it. Now, not like a keeper would. Just dived out flat onto it. Closed my eyes. I could feel the ball in my hands. Um, and got up and sort of tried to play from there. You know, and then that gave me confidence second half to come for a few things. Um, same thing happened five minutes later. They've crossed it in. I haven't come. Brian's Fuck, fucking guys, you got to come for them. you got to come for them. And I'm like, come on, Brian, come on, give me a chance. Like, you know, um, I'm trying to do the best I can here. Um, but yeah, he came a few times, big Brian, which kept me on my toes. Um, but yeah, I think I spent most of the second half then not, not really under a massive pressure. And, you know, lo and behold, we had the breakdown, the right mark. Wilson finishes it off. But I just remember mopping up a lot, you know, being sort of sweeper keeper as such because yeah. we'd held them on in their half that well and defended that well a lot of the second half I think apart from the two takes and a couple of claims and maybe reading a through ball and nipping it off a centre forwards feet with me feet not my hands I think there wasn't a massive amount to do but I'll never forget walking off there in front of the Wrexham fans obviously they were at the far end and yeah we won 2-1 obviously and um, again, you know, great memories for any, anyone that was there on the night, hopefully. Yeah, it's like a night that's gone down in Wrexham folklore. Uh, <laughs> when you did leave in 2001, it beat to Doncaster. Um, why Doncaster? Because it, it it wasn't, it's not like it's a, a club that's on your door. That's like, a, that's a whole move up to, to that neck of the woods, the other side of the country. Well, the, the other side it of the is, UK. Yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. But um, they sold me, a, you know, a really good vision of what they wanted for the club at the time. Um, we're really clear in the way that I'd fit into things. Yeah. Um, I'm very lucky to, to have gone there and met some, some fantastic people, some fantastic players as well. Um, played a lot in the first year. They made me captain after about a month, two months maybe, um, which was brilliant. You know, what an honour to be captain of, of Doncaster Rovers. Um, all, you know, we were in the National League at, at the time. Uh, Vanarama, you know, whatever you want to call it. We, yeah. we were playing non-league football, but everyone knew that, that Donny were, were probably the biggest team. If It's very similar to Wrexham in that respect, where every home game, even then, was 4,000, you know, three and a half, four thousand every week. It was at the old ground then. Um, you'll tell me what it's called, I forget. Way over my head, that one. I, 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 I always have to take a second to think, because at Darlington or Doncaster, I used, used to get the two mixed up. It's like, well, no, Gazzo went to one while he went to the other. That's how I always remember it. <laughs> It'll come to me. Um, but yeah, the, the actual ground was really old. and um, The pitch was fantastic. It was always a big pitch. We used to go there with the, with the Midland Senior League, if I remember rightly. And a couple of cup games over that way. The pitch was always brilliant. So I'd been there a few times, understood it. I remember driving over. It took forever to get there. Um, it's some traffic on the way. It was sort of like three and a half hours. I remember coming home and, and thinking, oh, Jesus, you know what, whether I can sign there or not, I don't know. And they made me a great offer, I, I'll be honest. Um, you know, and I ended up signing and, and again, look back at it as, uh, again, fortunate to be um, at such a big club, I suppose, gunning for, for promotion. And, and I knew we had the chance of, of promotion. There's some good established pros there. We'd signed you know, in, that, in that, um, that time I arrived as well. There'd been some um, other signings from, from the league. 
Paul Barnes be, being one. Um, Paul was sort of successful at Berry, and if I remember rightly, and um, other Midlands clubs there. He scored goals all throughout his career. He signed. And then the second year, we went up. Um, I didn't play a lot second year, to be fair. I think it, I hadn't fallen out. Steve, Steve, um, Steve, Steve Wilder. Not Steve Wilder. Oh, my God, my memory's going. But the manager that signed me um, ended up leaving the club, I think, around the Christmas time. Dave Penny took over. And I just sort of wasn't his type of player. Just didn't fit into the team. They brought a couple of midfielders in, who, who to be fair, they stayed there for, for years after I'd gone and did really well for the club. Paul Green was coming through at the time. Um, who went on to be a you know Irish international play for um, Leeds uh, amongst others. So it's really, very similar to Wrexham in the way they nurtured their young players. If you watch some of the footage from the time, uh, Rob Gill was was there, Tristan Whitram, um, had a, a boy called Roberts that came uh, ended up playing for Chet. Ch Ch um, Ch you know the team. Oh, uh, Gareth Roberts. Um, not Gareth Roberts. No, uh, he was a fast winger. Oh, I was thinking uh, of a left back. It'll come to me. No, um, he was in Tramier, actually, not even Chester. <laughs> yeah, so some really Jamie Price again. You know, some really good players. Um, again, the, the club, a uh, uh, um, uh, coach there called Mickey Mayfield, who nurtured them really well. Um, and it was very similar to Wrexham in that respect. So, yeah, I enjoyed the digs were brilliant there. The people at the digs looked after us, learned the guitar over there while I was there. That's what we talked about earlier. Um, came came back after two years and and sort of could strum a little bit and. Um, yeah, I do look back on it fondly. I'd be lying if I if I if I didn't. You know, that second year, as I said, didn't play a lot. I played maybe 15, 20 games, but brilliant to be watch the club go up, albeit from the stands. Um, at I think it was at the Britannia, they played the playoff final that year, Dagenham and Redbridge. I think we scored in um, very late in in the second half of extra time. So Franny Turney, I think I don't know whether you you know the name Franny Turney. Yeah, he's at Crew. Was he then went to Liverpool? Was it yeah, Liverpool yeah, and Crew? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was sort of winding down his career then, but what you know, what player he was, sort of lower league, sort of Matt Letizia type player, you know, um, quite, he won't mind me saying this, he wasn't the most mobile, wasn't lazy, but couldn't get around, had yeah. lost a little bit of pace, but his feet were incredible, you know, but he scored that goal and um, that took Donny back up into the into the football league and, and then I left and sort of came back and played in the Welsh Prem then and started working. For, for a living, I suppose. So the job, you know, the job sort of started, the 95 job started and yeah. playing part-time football in the Welsh Prem. Because I, I that's what I was going to get to then. It was, it was, let me get this right first. Nomads first, then it was Airbus, then it was real. How did you yeah. find that? Because, uh, uh, yeah, just like, because you've obviously you've been used to playing league football, then you've been, you played, uh, I guess, uh, conference national leagues at now, and then to go to the, the Welsh Premier League. or uh, How was that? I don't, know if it was, I don't know if it's dropping standards the right term, but like that, I guess, just to play at that level, was that, did you, how did you adapt to that? Yeah, I, I, you know, the Welsh Premier, the, the town, Conic or whatever, it was, it was, yeah, it was Welsh Premier at the time, if I remember rightly. Yeah, so to that mid 2000s, so it was just after the, you know, they'd lost the Conica yeah, sort of. Yeah. Uh, League of Wales, you know, that that title. Um, it, it, do you know what? It meant a lot to me to play for my own town club because um, yeah. my old man had played for Connors Key and, and Flint in the local area. So it meant a lot to me to, to play for what was my actual, you know, my, my, um, not my birth town, but um, where I was from. So, I, you know, I was more than happy to come back and do that. And then, but obviously, you know, I had to start working during the day at some point so it was the end of the professional football career, but 
I was sort of starting to get into coaching then as well. And that had become a passion from uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so coming back in 2003, four, something like that, it was brilliant to sign for the Nomads. You know, it was, um, I felt we had, again, a, a strongish side. who'd finished sort of top four, I think, the, the year before. So I saw it as an opportunity to, you know, to maybe win the league and, and get back into maybe playing European football, which ultimately then, um, you know, f how long later? Yeah, four or five years later, when in the last year of my career is really in, in the semi-pro, I ended up playing Champions League football for real, which again <laughs> blew, blew my mind. Um, yeah, Qualifiers, albeit, but I, I saw the key sort of being able to do that that year. It didn't pan out that way, unfortunately. Um I think we finished fourth again, something like that, in the second year. And then I, I won't go into it. There was a few issues, should we say, that there was a bit of a falling out. And I ended up taking the Airbus role then, yeah, as player manager. Um, yeah, and, and again, great years. So, you know, I enjoyed that sort of challenge of, it doesn't happen a lot nowadays, does it, where you, you sort of play managing a, a club. Um, but I had a brilliant number two there, Alan Bickerstaff. Um, you know, still obviously still work with Alan nowadays. And we always you know, look back fondly at that period and um, I then left as a player manager um, to play for Alan at Real with, with Oshan was sort of involved at the club at the time, Oshan Roberts as well, which was too good of an opportunity to turn down to go, and, to go and play there just as a player. So the, yeah. you know, the management shackles and the coaching shackles were off and um, yeah, we won it that year. We, we won the, the title. We had some fantastic players again around us. Again, very lucky to, to have had... Um, yeah, George Iran, who'd been an ex-Rexham youth player and played in the sort of Welsh Prem for years and really established player. Greg Strong came in and signed at centre-back from had played for Bolton in his career. And um, we established sort of left-back Greg Stones, Chris, um, Chris, Chris Williams, I think. Um, Mark Conley, right-back. Lee Kendall signed in goal, who was the, you know, the best keeper in the league by a mile yeah. at the time. Jimmy Kelly was at Rill. Remember Jimmy Kelly? Obviously yeah, James yeah. Um, so he was at Real at the time, Gareth Wilson, and then we signed Jamie Reid, Matty Williams. Um, uh, what was the boy's name? Extract some winger, Josh Johnson. Oh, yeah, yeah, Josh Johnson, Trinidadian. Yeah, yeah. yeah he came and signed after, in the window, sorry, in January. So Josh signed in that, that sort of, um, as a right winger there. Uh, Carl Owen from Port Maddox. So we had a you know, really strong... Um, squad going into the year, Lanethi had spent money the previous year and with a yardstick, but um, you know we, we we blitzed everyone that year. It was a really good year, obviously culminating with Neil Roberts signing it and scoring yeah. nineteen goals for real that year. But it was a pleasure to play in again and uh, again fondly re remembered. Um, yeah, and to play Champions League football the following year, we got absolutely battered um, going to Partizan Belgrade. Um, I was 39, um, but to say you played in the Champions League, you know, albeit a qualifying game, it was, you know, walking out there, there was probably 12, 13,000 there on the night and eight or nine of them were, within, were in this end, right, to, my, to the left, Champions League football, you know, the music going the night, the big ball, you know, the, um, the cover they have, the big yeah, yeah. Champions League ball, the kids on the pitch. Uh, yeah, just at what an occasion as we walked out at, at, at Petro at um, Partizan, um, it's like I got a rune track around it. So their fans, it was absolutely packed in this left end. They've all thrown this what looked like ticker tape. 
So there's pictures on, on my Facebook and, and others of, of this tape coming down like it was Buenos Aires in 1978. You know, it was just shit. There's so much of this ticker tape coming down for probably you know, 15, 20 seconds. You're looking to your left and you're thinking, wow, to the right hand side, there wasn't many in the ground. Um, we lost 4 0 in the first leg. And they were as good as anything I'd ever played against. They were, you know, they were a fantastic side. They beat us 8 0 at their place after the game. Um, so we were sort of walking back towards the change room, but we've got to pass all their fans who are in, uh, in this home end. And all this ticker tape had piled up by now. So I just said to Lee Kendo as a keeper, John, for this, I'm going to go dive in it in front of them all. So I, there's a picture of me, I've got it on Facebook, full flight, about three or four foot in the air. I'm due to land in this, what looks like a pile of snow. But like the picture is you've got stewards in the background that are laughing and there's fans sort of laughing and that. But I hit the ground like I caught my chin on the <laughs> on the floor. It was just like hitting hitting a track, you know. It was yeah. this it just provided no protection whatsoever. But um, yeah, crazy memories like well, even though we got battered on the night. Um, you know, going out there, we had a strong side as well. You know, as I say, George, Neil Roberts, Lee Kendall, you know, these these people weren't bad players. We were all decent, either ex-current or semi-pros, you know, and lots of experience, but this partisan team were just something else. You know, as good as I'd, I'd faced in, in 20 years of playing as a, as a pro. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not like, I suppose, if you look at all the potential draws you could have got, it's not the easiest of draws there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to go away to Belgrade and there you go, see how you get on with that. Oh, uh, do you know what? It was, it was probably nice because... Who'd have no disrespect? Who'd have remembered going to maybe Lithuania or a Faroe yeah. Islands or um, you know something like that? It was nice to go out, albeit hammered, with a bang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and a bruised chin by the sound of it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few boosts, boost cheeks. Yeah. So just before we get to the fans' questions, then what what is it you do at the moment, then, guys? For anyone that's not aware, the the coaching work you do um, and uh, like you said, you were involved with Flincher, the develop or. Well, uh, you, you tell them anyway, better than, far better than um, I can do. Yeah, so I, I, when I came out of football, I started to work and I took like a course as an MVQ assessor. So it was what was known as the A1 award at the time. So I got into sort of sport and rec and MVQ assess. And then the job came up as football development officer for Flincher. So it, it was, um, so Damien Roden it was originally in, in the post. You might know the name Damien Roden, who's gone on to, to work all over the world now as a, a strength and conditioning coach. And um, with... Um, teams in, in the States and what have you and but was a, an ex Wrexham YTS who was a good mate of mine um, so he was in the post and he, he left Gareth Prosser then came in and Gareth left so what what Flinch were finding was a lot of these um, should we say younger uh, members of staff were finding a job within a, a full-time club very quickly so they wanted someone a bit older <laughs> so I applied for the job um, I, I very nearly wasn't going to go for it but I applied for it and you know thanks to uh, Cledwin Ashford, you, you probably know Cledwin, knocks around with, um, had been around for years, really respected member of um, um, Brinkhawk High School before anything, was the headmaster there for years, involved in Welsh football now and Welsh schools and a very respected member of, um, of Dan Nolan's backroom staff, shall we say. So Cleds rang me and said, look, you've got to go for it, you know, make sure you go for it. So I went for it and, you know, lo and behold, I got it. I think my life changed there, then getting into the trust and getting into the FAW. So you, you sort of get a county then, don't you? So you're, you know, you're a football development officer in a county, your jobs to sort of increase growth, increase um, girls, boys playing the game, educate the coaches within, within the county, 
put on the courses, you know, your safeguarding, first aid, disability. Uh, and that was for five years. Then I sort of worked as the FDO for Flincher um, and then went to work for the trust full time in 2013. But then the job role changes. Um, and I, th- I started work initially as a club development officer in North West Wales. So living in, in like, um, I'd have been in sort of the northeast at the time, but my, my clubs were all in the northwest. So North Wales Coast Area Association. So there's quite a bit of traveling in there. Then it developed more. I, I was still into my coach education, loved all the way from my first day as FDO, loved every second of coach education. So then um, a job came up within the trust. We restructured at the time, um, I think. And I was always sort of working on like the level one football leads award, C certificates, C licenses. Um, I, that grew in it then into the B licensed as me, with me time as a, an FDO, but the B licensed manager's job came up and um, I went for it. I got it and, and I've been in the role sort of since. So um, yeah, nationally we, we sort of run um, historically we've run like five, maybe five, six B licenses domestically a year, have residential courses as well. Um, we run eight this year. It's been online. It's been a completely different experience for everyone this year yeah. and, for the staff and the coaches, but we, we've got through it. So yeah, that's that's the sort of role is is educating um, other coaches through um, you know a contact, for example, at Colliers Park where they'd come in. Presentations are on. We might be taking them through um, you know approaches to modern coaching or, or you know some other modules we cover on course. We put practical sessions on for the coaches to observe and give them some tasks around it. But it's ultimately about the coaches themselves on the courses. So um, we, we sort of simulate them coaching on course. They might coach each other as a group. So if you've got a group of 24, two might coach and, and maybe, you know, eight to 12 might take part in the sessions or we might get players in from the local clubs. Um, we then have some reality-based learning, which I suppose the term UEFA would use and allow these coaches to coach the players that come in whilst we assess their, their uh, and measure their, how they coach their performance against some criteria. Yeah. That's pretty much the, you know, the B licensed job. And yeah, again, very lucky to be still involved in football. That sounds, sounds like a very intense job that you're doing there. <laughs> oh, it's, it's brilliant. Pinch myself every morning. Yeah. I'm very lucky again. I work with some very um, forward thinking people. Um, that challenge me my job is also to challenge what we do and look at what we do and don't settle for anything I'll try and be a, a world-class coaching coaching nation and and we, we will always aspire to be that and you know it, it sort of goes hand in hand with player development as well where um, recently there the was sort of like um, I suppose three years back now 2004 years back now 2017 we launched we launched what we call a national curriculum which is our identity, Wales' yeah. identity of uh, right from the top, first men's team and ladies' team, right the way down through all the age groups, coach education. This is how, this is our identity. This is what, this is our hymn sheet. And um, best thing we've done as a nation because we all sing from that hymn sheet now. There's a, it's in there about our culture, the important things about values as an organisation. Um, and, and it's great to sort of have something to, to live you know we, we live those values every day in what we do and um we've been very lucky we've had some brilliant names down the years start their coaching career at sort of b license so their, their first experience with maybe a b residential course uh, and then they go on to do an a license and, and some will do a pro license with us as well so level three to level four to level five um 
but yeah, that profile over the last 10 years, as you, you might be aware, is, 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 is sort of you know, skyrocketed a little bit. And um, you possibly you know, might be aware of some of the names that, that we've had coming through. It's been, a, again, you know, you sort of pinch yourself that these people are coming on our courses and we're working with them to make them better coaches and prepare them for their own coaching careers. So, yeah, again, very, very lucky and very humble to be in the, the role I'm in. Brilliant. Now, just to get to, uh, there's a, a few fan questions, and we'll get to your eleven, um, and then that's that because you've uh, you've given us loads of time, Jay. Sorry, uh, sorry, guys. Um, no so this is uh, coming from Red Passion. Um, I I never know if this is W Head or Weed. I suppose to pronounce it, but that's the username anyway. Is what's your biggest regret in football? Um, and also, they've added on um, the season you scored away to beat Bournemouth. What happened, and how did the season go off the rails? I think that would have been 97, 98, if if I remember rightly. Oh, now the test of my memory. So the first part of the question, um, what was the question? The first part? Uh, your biggest regret in football. Biggest regret? I don't... Oh, that's I a nice don't, positive one to start with. Yeah, I don't think you can have any. Um, I, I, You know, you let other people, I think, judge what you are as a player. Uh, I try not to say too much myself and let others be the judge of that. But ultimately then that comes with, oh, you should have moved on. Or, you, you know, you could have done this, you could have done the other. It didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, you know, you, you hear things after you leave the club that um, Alden wanted me and, and were prepared to bid X amount. Flinney wanted more. Leeds wanted me on, on two week of, or two week trial of some kind. Uh, that never materialised. So, um, yeah, fulfilling your potential. Did I, did I do it? Maybe not as a player. Um, but as I said earlier on, I, I didn't want to play any higher other than with, with Wrexham. Um, to, to my, you know, detriment, whatever you want to call it, um, so be it. Wear my heart on my sleeve, I didn't want to do it with anybody else. But, um, you know, some people might call me stupid. Some people might say, well, you know, that's not very ambitious or whatever. But, um, no, I, I just wanted to give me all for Wrexham Football Club, I suppose. And, um you know, you, you suffer the consequences. If, if I'd have moved, I'd have moved, you know, we might have had a, a very different conversation tonight, but um, it never happened for whatever, for whatever reason. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, I don't look back and think I loved every second of it uh, yeah. and I'd be lying if I, if I, if I said any different. Brilliant. Well, what you said there, that ties in with another question, which basically says the exact words that you just said uh, from Travis Bickle on Red Passion is, you often wore your heart on your sleeve um, with your oral action performances for the club, would you consider a Wrexham tattoo to exemplify what the team and club meant to you? I mean, this thought this week, I was in a conversation, right, on on Facebook private messaging with a, I saw a Wrexham tattoo on on a fan, um, and I thought, you know, wow, what what a way to do it! I've got a couple. I'll, I'll lie, like they're on the inside of my arms. Um, yeah, they're just lyric, lyrics. I'm obviously, you know, very musical. They're lyrics to a song which mean a lot to me. Also, like the the staves and the music, you know, like they're, they're not sort of hidden and I, I wouldn't hide them. But um, the whole thing, I've got a couple below that and the whole thing means something a lot to me, which, yeah, I, I definitely would consider it. As I said, I've had the conversation this week, so it's on my mind. And um, watch this space, I suppose, will we'll be what, we'll be what uh, we'll say to that, yeah. Um and uh, just to go back to the, the other question before about you scored away to beat Bournemouth, which I think was 97-98. But what happened with that season? Because that would be the season we uh, we missed out on the uh, on the playoffs on goal difference. Um, what what do you think went wrong that season? Why we didn't get playoffs? 
I remember, I remember the, the game, I remember the goal, believe it yeah. or not. I, I think I nicked it off one of their players at the edge of the box and went through and, and slid it in from a really acute angle to the point where I remember walking off and Kev saying, how, how have you scored from there? But um, <laughs> so I remember the goal, quite very little memory of the games after that. And I think that was like the second or third to last game of the season. It was, it was right towards, if it's the game I'm thinking of, it was right towards the tail end of the season. And when we dropped out of, of the playoffs then, if yeah. I'm right. Yeah, we ended up, that was where we, we missed out on, on goal difference that season. Yeah, do you know what? I mean, it, it's happened recently, hasn't it? You know, it, it's happened to Wrexham quite often and, and not something that you look back and you expect of you know, the mindset that we that we had as a, as a team and players then. Um, you can't explain some of these things sometimes. These, these things just happen. And um, I wouldn't say it got the better of us. You don't go into games thinking we were always, you know, confident and um you know, we, we were always, whatever side that went out there for Wrexham during the 90s, I always got the feeling that we, we had players in the side that could win us games, yeah. that could score goals, that would get us something from a set piece. If the forwards weren't performing, we'd have a centre-half score from a header and, and vice versa. Wide players that could score goals as well. We had, you know, we, we had goals from, from, from all over the place. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain sometimes in football that the psychological side of things, I suppose, where... Um, we weren't we weren't going into games unprepared. We weren't going into yeah. games with a, a feeling that we were going to get get beaten. Um, and I hate to say just one of those things because that's a shit answer, isn't it? But it was. One well, sometimes of that's just the answer. Yeah, sometimes that, that is the answer. Unfortunate, yeah, unfortunate that the results just don't go for you at the time, and you end up suffering because of it. Yeah. Um, well, you've kind of touched on this already, but there's a couple of people have asked. Uh, one being Dave Willie on Red Passion, um, but. Did you have? But uh, was there any other uh, any offers or interest from elsewhere that you're aware of? Um, uh, any approaches? But you can, you thought then there was Oldham. There was the offer of a, a trial at Leeds. Um, any other approaches or, or interest that that you can think of? Only from Linfield, they wanted me on loan. Linfield in, in Ireland. <laughs> that was when I was at Donny. Um, no, apart from the two I've already mentioned there, yeah. no, there was nothing else that I got wind of after and. To be fair, you, these these are only after I've left the club, and maybe even, well, you know, years after that, you you sort of find these things out. But um, yeah, yeah you just think you know you. I would have liked to have known at the time. Is is yeah. probably going back and answering one of the other questions. That the, have you got any regrets? Is uh, if I'd have found that out as a player, you know, knocking the manager's door and saying, look, you know, what what's going to just even if you don't leave, just be honest, you know. And, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure you know. Flinny, to be fair, and I understand it completely, will always put the club first. Um, and if that's to the detriment of, you know, any piece of information or a player finding out A, B and C, or we've got these games coming up and it might unsettle a player, you know, with the mind I've got now, I totally understand that, you know, why why a manager would do that anyway. So, um, you know, managers can't be honest 100% of the time, I don't think... Um, you can you can you can try you can get as close you can get ninety nine point nine percent of it, um, but there's always something that's you know got to be hidden from somewhere because there's so many dynamics isn't there within a team and within a club. Yeah, I've got an, uh, another question here, guys, from at uh, Rex and Carl on Twitter, who says, "I heard a rumor a while back you now live in a tranquil abode in the countryside with a lady from that village. Tell us more about the lovely people of Costa del Ross." <laughs> I know where it's from. For the start, yeah. Um, I, listen, mate, you live two minutes around the corner, <laughs> so we are within throwing distance of each other. You know, we always welcome around here for a brew. 
Um, and I'd suggest that you come up with a better question next time because that's, that's really poor, mate, really <laughs> poor. But um, I'll text you after and let you know anyway. Yeah, or, or just go out and see him in the, the Costa del Rosa, as it were. The brother-in-law, <laughs> by the way. The brother-in-law is, um, for anyone that's listening, or Andy, just to let you know, yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> right. Um, I, we've still got some other questions here. Uh, I, I like this one, because did you support Wrexham as a kid? You said that Wrexham, you were kind of enamoured with the club once you came there. It was my first shirt. Was it? Which which one are we talking then? Which uh it was a bizarre situation. I can't. I honestly can't remember how it how it how it came about, right? But um, it was a long sleeved Adidas trefoil badge Adidas, the old yeah, one, yeah. about eighty eight, something like eighty seven, eighty eight. It was the shirt. That's all you need. That's nice, all you need. nice, it nice. That. But it was the long sleeve version of it as well, with obviously the three stripes, trefoil Adidas badge, big Wrexham badge on this side, trefoil Adidas badge on the right, Um yeah, how crazy is it that yeah, it was my first shirt? Um, I guess after following from that though, like with yourself as a player, did you prefer a short sleeve or long sleeve? Good question. Mm. Carl was always like, I don't think he liked short sleeves. He was always a long sleeve player, if I remember, but long sleeves get in the way a little bit. I think I was always a short sleeve, regardless of the weather or you know, and, and gloves and that. Jesus, no. Um, always short sleeve, mate. And it's strange as well as a player, you sort of have a preference for collars. So I was always mm-hmm. interested to see what the kit design was. Didn't like them too tight around the neck. You'd always end up sort of pulling this bit of the collar sort of apart, you know, if it was a, if it was mine for the season or whatever, or it, you know what I mean? If it was an eight or a four, yeah. I'd rip this little bit here because we didn't have shirt after shirt after shirt. It was just the one. See, I remember a mate of mine in the when we were in high school, and it'd be the what 96 97 season when we had the, the, the FA Cup run and we had the white away shirt. And it was that was a round neck. And I'm at one of our mates in school, he he ripped it there. And we're like, You can't rip your shirt, like whatever your, your mum and dad's paid 40 quid for it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He, it was. It was a bit um stuffy. And I remember there was a double diamond yeah. away one, a yeah. white one, a, a couple diamond. years later, and that was. Yeah. That was a nightmare. That was, I cut that one myself, but yeah, that was horrendous. With the yeah, shirts, it what happens when you you know you're constantly running around them? As they rub, they can they can really sort of tear in you you know your your, your neck or whatever. You just got to be, I suppose, it's preferences and um, yeah, definitely. But the shirts were always huge at Wrexham. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say it was the smallest build in the world, but never used to fill the shirts. They were always XLs and always hanging off me. <laughs> but but. Um, when you've got Garth on the team, Nigel Beaumont, then you need to obviously cater for that size of bloke as well. That, that ties in nicely. There's a questionnaire with uh, Moin Keep the Faith on, on a Red Passion who asked, will I ever fit into your shirt from the United game? So I, I, I don't know if they've got your shirt somehow or whatever. Oh, interesting. I, I'd love to meet up if that was the case and and, and see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I was probably, I mean, my match weight was probably 11 and a half, sort of 11, 11 and a half stone, believe it or not. And then towards the latter end of your career, I mean, we were obviously having, you know, sports science came into it then. We were, I mean, BMI tests and what have you, we were well looked after. Um, so, yeah, my playing weight was always around sort of 12 stone. But this the build I got, I suppose, is, I don't know, but probably more suited to, to, to rugby. I don't know what position. Um, but thankfully, no, I, mean, I think I've got my mum's legs, <laughs> which got me around the pitch <laughs> enough as well. But um, um, I'd love to see if they've got that shirt, get in touch on Twitter or something. It'd be great to meet up. 
Yeah. Um, and to, to go back to the question, which is Harry Potter, Omri Passion, great name. Um, with the do you support Wrexham as a kid? And the second part of that is, if so, where did you used to sit or stand? So anytime you went to the race course before, obviously you were involved in the club. Where did you used to? Was there a, a favourite spot to go? Uh, unfortunately, not. No, I didn't see any games uh, at the race course. Um, much to my um, disappointment, I suppose. Or with it being, you know, I mean, mum and dad didn't drive at the time, and. I think you you're spending so much time as a as a young player playing on a Saturday. Yeah. If I ever went anywhere, I was fortunate enough to go and watch um, Everton. My, my brother was a big Everton fan, and um, you know I'd probably watch Everton maybe not, not you know once a month maybe through. Uh, I remember when I was maybe 10, 11, 12. So they were probably you know ni- nice to get over there. I remember like I think Bobby Robson. It's a Bobby Robson quote about football isn't about money in the money men at the top or um trophies or champions it's about it's about the fans and it's about that uh, as a boy walking up the steps for the first time yeah. coming to the top of the steps and seeing the lights out on a pitch for the first time and and just without being able to do anything just falling in love with it and i'd say that happened probably at goodison park for me where a game under lights you know where i can feel hairs on the back of my neck standing on i know I don't support it. i still got a soft spot for everton probably because of my brother, you know, this brother Brim, but um, it's that moment, isn't it? You, you've you probably been there, every football yeah. fan has been there where they've walked into a stadium for the first time and it's it's under lights and, yeah, you just you can't do anything about it, can you? No, it's like, it'll be freezing cold, it'll be the, the middle of winter, whatever, it'll be pitch black outside, but you just get the, the beams of the, obviously, massive floodlights in Wrexham case. You, you get yourself a, a pie that, for all you know, could be made out of dog food, but still, it's fine. Um, yeah. And it's just... You take it all in and it's freezing and it's cold and it might start raining, but it's all just, I don't know, it is. I, I think there's something special about just a night game. Even now going, obviously not being able to go to the race course for a year now or more. It's just, there's still something now I, I enjoy. Even if the weather's horrendous, I still look forward to that that midweek night game. And, yeah. and it could be against, obviously this the level we're playing now, it's against teams that, it's not great to be playing against. It could be an awful game of football where it's just hoofball or whatever, but still, it's it's a Wrexham game. It's at the race course. It's Tuesday. It's, it's yeah, something special about it. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't think anything will, will replace that, you know, in, in, in life. You know, once, you, once you've had that moment, I think you, you've fallen in love with it. You're stuck with football for life, yeah. Yeah, I, I particularly remember a Dave Bramish screamer on a Tuesday night. Um, I want to say it's against Carlisle in about 1994, 1995, and I think it was Rooster scored two and we won three two. And I've never seen the goal back ever, but in my head, and I was up in the, the top of the Yale stand, in my head, Dave Brammer hit it from just inside uh, it, like it just inside their half. And it was just one of those where rows and rows and rows into the cop end and it would have carried on going. I might yeah. see it back now and it might be just like scuffed from like 14 yards <laughs> in, yeah, in off the post. <laughs> but it's just that, that young kid seeing that. It's like, God, oh, this is good. Oh, it was more of this. Um, a question here that's coming up, Red Passion, from Dag. Uh, G. are you fit enough to play and have you still got your boots? <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, I'm touching 50, believe it or not, this year. Um, it's my 50th birthday, October. Um, the, the legend stuff has been a godsend for us, having, um, you know, being able to get out even on a pitch. And I think the last time we were together, the last time I was involved, I think um, we were over at Carewis. I don't know whether, you, was that your first right. time involved, Carewis? Do you remember I was going well, over there. I went to the I went to the Druids one at the Rock, and you bossed you bossed the yeah. game in that one. I think. Yeah. I, um. Oh no, I remember playing the Druids. Tell a lie. Yeah. There were, um. Yeah. There was a few I'd missed though because of Coach Ed on a Sunday, and 
the games generally being on a Sunday, I'd missed quite a lot over the last 12 months prior to COVID. Um, so yeah, it'd love to be great to get back into it. I'd, I'd like to get a little bit off me and just get a bit fitter. Struggling with this, this COVID cough, post-COVID cough still, but I, I have to go upstairs now and I'm breathing at the top of the stairs. So um, I dream about it. I'll be honest, is, is the answer to the question. I still sit there watching every game now and and just think towards the last 10 minutes, Dean's going to sh- shout here. We're looking for a sub and all the subs have, uh, have like fallen asleep or something. And <laughs> they're always in the crowd there. Let's get him out onto the pitch. Yeah, we've got, got some boots this size. Yeah, we, we just so happen to. Yeah, me, mate. Yeah, we boots. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that, <laughs> it's still... Um, it, it feels like a dream looking back and it's a dream still to go out there. And, and if we ever play on the race course, I don't know what I'd do. Um, yeah, I mean that. I think that's that's the aim at some point to hopefully get one of these Legends games back at the race course. I I don't. That's not to say it's going to happen, but that's the the dream at some point. Um, some strings, man. You must know R and R, don't you? Um, I, I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can. And speak to their people, and we'll we'll, we'll get it sorted. We yeah. did actually play one about yeah, yeah. It must be years ago now. That one of the first ones we played, and I think there was probably you know fifteen hundred, two thousand there. Yeah. Um, it was like a, a sort of celebrity. Um, team against us, probably the, one of the first ones we played. But <coughs> Chris Coleman played for us. Remember, he was around at the time. He played centre back. I'm sure Kit, Kit Simmons played as well. Yeah. Um, Clinton Blackmore came up and played. So it was more like of a you know celebrity thing from our end as well. Where yeah, it was it was crazy being out on the race course again. At, you know, I'm talking probably five years ago now, maybe six years ago. But all the memories come flooding back, don't they? When you're getting changed and everything. So. Yeah, it'd be great if if you could organise that again, mate. Before be, in my fiftieth year, that'd be brilliant. Oh, no pressure now. Going to do it for your fiftieth birthday? I can't say no on that. I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll do lunch with somebody. We'll do lunch and have a chat. Right. <laughs> Look forward to that. Um, a question from uh, again from Weed, I think it is. Um, who was the craziest in the dressing room through your time at Wrexham, and why? Uh, we've already spoken about him, don't we? Benno takes that title quite easily. There's quite a few down the years that were that were entertainers. Um, I think the three boys from from Huddersfield were, were probably um, or that area, the North Yorkshire lads or the Yorkshire boys as we call them, um, Spice Boys from Yorkshire, Nigel Beaumont, Andy Thack, and, and Coops were three brilliant signings for the club. Um, really infectious people. Obviously, Garth um, stays local still. He, he lives in the area, and Coops is down a lot um, to visit uh, and goes out, and, and obviously. Um, enjoys the evening with Garth and I'm still on, in contact with Andy Thackeray as well he's on Twitter and we follow each other on Twitter and they were a really big influence I think on, on the early years Keb Russell was was a light, larger than life character mm-hmm. um, always you know entertaining keeping people happy and um, was the life and soul of, of many part we've had down the year um, Neil Roberts again Dean Spink was a great lad to have round um, the Trinidad boys when they signed Big Dan Carlos, you know what what characters and really lucky to have been you know around them um, when they've come through and you know Darren Ferguson big character again Wardy Peter Ward what a left uh, foot what a left foot yeah Mickey you know what an infectious character Mickey was are we going to see these types of people coming through again you know it, it only time will tell but I think we've lived through a very lucky period should we say as um Wrexham um with Wrexham as a common interest yeah um is there like one Wrexham player you didn't get the chance to play with that you really wish you'd you'd have got the chance to have even a game with or a season with or a couple of seasons with 
Um, we, I tell you, who guest, guested for us in that game? Juan Agate came over, oh, yeah. flew in, and, and played straight away. We had a, a footballing connection. So um, <coughs> different to Benno, different to Steve Watkin, different to Truns. Um, you know, fox in the box, continental thinking, pockets of space, that type of player that I think I'd have probably um, struck a good uh, partnership up with him, you know, as a, as a as a number 10 or, you know, whatever you want to term him, a centre forward or a, a false nine because of his size. You know, I think that yeah. type of, um, I think he's probably one that you look at and think um, I'd like to have maybe had a, uh, a, you know, played with. I think Truns as well, I'd like to have played longer with Truns. Um, you know, and Andy, what a partnership they were up front, and obviously Lee, Lee went left and um, under a bit of a cloud, I suppose, and, and went and ended up having a brilliant career for Swansea. Just wish that had been at Wrexham, yeah. Oh, me alongside him in League One or the Championship, I think would have been there. You know, my sort of vision at the time. But um, players we played against, you know, back in the day that, that used to cause us, he used to go to. Uh, Jamie Curtin was always a name that springs to mind with me. Wherever we played, was it? I think, I think Mark McGregor brought him up as well, just randomly oh. throughout there. And it's because he was, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's still playing to this day because he was he was playing into his early 40s, I think, up to a couple of years ago, professional football still. Yeah, nightmare, absolute nightmare to play against. Bright as a, as a button, um, fit, strong. I'm sure, sure he came through at Leeds originally, and then it was like Bristol Rovers where he spent most of his time. Yeah, it's probably a strange one. You know, you, probably people listening will probably think Jamie Curtin, but it's not until you find these things out how bright people are as when you go onto a pitch and you, you know, as a midfielder, you've got to glance, you've got to make sure that you're, you know, breaking passing lines into him because he always used to cause problems. And, you know, you did uh, Tony and Pedge or Big Briar, whoever behind you, fuck's, you know, he's, he, he's causing problems again. And it just sticks in, in, in my mind. Um, uh, yeah, he's one that immediately comes uh, and sort of uh, springs to mind, I suppose. Andy Hassenthaler was a difficult midfielder to play against. I'm sure he would have been, you know, a great to have in, in your own team as well. Peter Reed's brother was a, was a good, solid. So Sean Reed, you know, playing against. I remember playing against him many times. Sort of, I think he was at Berry at the time, and you know, he's a solid player. You know, if you've got a a deep line midfielder like that, they can sit, then it allows you to get forward and, you know, really experienced sort of players. Um, and I haven't mentioned Premier League yet or Championship players, you know, we, we could be here all night, couldn't we? Scholes is probably the ultimate one. I think Zidane pays him the ultimate con uh, compliment. Then he, when people ask Zidane, what was it like being the best midfielder in the world? And he says, well, I don't know, ask Paul Scholes. Yeah. He, he's probably the one where you thought, you know, if the ultimate would have been playing in the testimonial, doing 10 minutes for Man United at the end and having skulls in that team. <laughs> that would have been the ultimate for me, yeah. But I can't, listen, mate, I, I can't complain, can I? You know, it, it was, um, as I've mentioned all night, really, I, I still pinch myself now. Yeah. Um, a last question before we get into your XM11. This is the last question. Um, and that's more come up the spin-off. Uh, but what was, uh, I guess it's a question you've probably been asked loads over the years because you've had, you've had a few tap-ins, but you've had a fair few screamers when, when you, you did score. Mm. But what's the best or most memorable goal that you've scored? Um, well, probably the one that, that some, I mean, few immediately spring to mind, but scoring in the cup, uh, the cup final at home, the FAW Premier Cup as it was then, extra yeah. time, 
I think there was only a few minutes to go. And um, I think Chalky went down the left and a little dink to the, to the far post. I come on as a sub, I think. Um, I didn't start the game, but come on as a sub and had enough energy to get on the end of it and just poked it home. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's the, the screamers, if you like, a free kick at um, Swansea. We were 3-1 up at our home against Wet Night. And I'm not joking. If you look at it on YouTube, you think, what are you doing? Even thinking of striking a ball from there. But I, I think it must have been 40 yards out. I'm not exaggerating. I, yeah. I wouldn't. Um, but you can see the centre circle. And I'm probably only maybe five yards off the centre circle. Just put the ball down and, and everyone's thinking you're going to clip it in the box. But I just struck through it as best as I possibly could. There was no wall. Roger Freestone was in goal. Um, and it seemed to stay at the same height for ages as it was travelling and didn't sort of deviate. It just, and it, you know, in the, fortunately in the corner of the net as well where he couldn't reach. <coughs> so, you know, I enjoyed that one. And uh, the last, I suppose, last one, Colchester at home or somebody like that to each. With ten down to ten men, went into the last five ten minutes, um, and sort of struck across. You know, when you get a golf strike that you feel is just right, that's come off your foot, and before anyone can do anything, it's sort of hitting the bar or the underside of the bar. And that's what and I'm it, thinking of. That's what I was it, thinking of. Uh, it hammered down on the day as well, so all the water comes up off the net, and the cop go mad behind it. Um, yeah, it was a uh, probably 20, 25 yards out, but yeah. caught it, you know, really well. So they're they're the sort of immediate ones, and the fans remember you for them, and you know, brilliant, um, and not so much the tap ins from a yard in in the Premier Cup final. <laughs> they, they, they all count. That, that, like I said, that one was the, the cup. Yeah, against Cardiff in what ninety eight. I went through uh, a period. I think sorry, um, went through a period. I think I'm sure I scored three headers on the bounce, three weeks on the bounce. Certainly two at home, yeah. Burnley, I think, uh, and Gillingham. Um, don't know how. Andy Thack was, Andy Thackery, maybe Kizza, constantly getting balls in the box and just arrived in the box and, you know, 5'8 as well. Not really, shouldn't get in there and beat centre-arse, but scored a couple of headers on the bounce as well. They stick in my mind for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the one that was culture, so I think it was against, for some reason I was thinking maybe Cardiff, just because I was thinking of the blue kits. So I, just I remember there was a goal of yours that opened up, aye, 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 aye. I want to say it was called like Goals on Sunday, but that's that sounds like the Sky program. But it used to be on ITV, on ITV, well, HTV, uh, HTV Wales, yeah. uh, about lunchtime on a Sunday. And it just it right. recap the Wrexham game, the Cardiff game, the Swansea game from the day before. And it used to, the opening of that, the opening credits, there was you, it'd end with you rattling in one off the bar um, from about 30 yards. It must have been that one, yeah. Because oh, I just, yeah, I think it's Paul Chester at home, I think. The free kicker, obviously, at the club down the road as well, sticks in yeah. the mind. Yeah, right now it's um, now it's make or break time. Oh, this is what I'm looking forward to more than anything. Is it right? Good on you, mate. Right, I'll turn it over to you then, Gareth Owen. This is your Wrexham eleven. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to take charge and really um, put stamp my authority on the on the setup and the way we're going to play. So I've got it to just to the left of us here. So excuse if my eyes are going off. But so in goal, um, notable mentions. Obviously, I've got notable mentions, and I've got about eighteen hundred subs. But we're going to play. <laughs> This is yeah. the way we're going to set up in a, in a goalie, four, two, two, two. All right, so like a okay. box midfield and two forwards. But I've got plans for the two number 10s, so we'll call them a two number sixes, the bottom of the box, so you two defensive midfields and two attacking midfields, but I've got little roles for them. I love it. I, I love how technical you're getting with this. This is brilliant. <laughs> it's the job, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. Andy Marriott in goal um, straight away. So Andy was, um, from the moment he signed, I think, got the better, you know, it took us up to the next level and such a really astute signing from, from Flinney. 
Um, numerous clean sheets, numerous horrendous goalkeeping shirts as well. I think. Oh most god, likely. the bright yellow and blue and black little patches everywhere. Yeah, yeah that was the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same if it was any different, would it? No. Um, notable mentions there, you know, Mark Cartwright, Kev did, and and then Mark Morris, obviously, who was a keeper when it sort of broke through. Mike Salmon was actually goalkeeper, I think, when, when it first started, but. Um, Mark obviously laterally after that then a back four I'd gone for Phil Hardy left back um, Joey as a centre back because I, I think probably it was his latter years he played a centre half a few times remember him being behind you know, obviously behind me in centre midfield a lot um, so Joey as a left sided centre back Tony Humes as a right sided centre back and then Carlos Edwards as a right back Okay. Um, notable mentions there. So we'll start left back first. Joey play, has played left back many a times with Denon Brace. Um, and also uh, Alan Kennedy obviously came in and was, you know, you can't sort of not mention Alan Kennedy, I don't think, with what he's done in the game. Um, Tony and Joey, obviously, selections at centre back ball. So, you know, mentions for Nige, Beaumont, uh, Pedge, Big Bry, Barry Hunter, Barry Jones, and Big Den as well. Um, yeah. Currently, Dennis is working with us with the FAW with bits as well. So notable mentions for them. Um, right back, Carlos, notable mentions. I've got Maka, Barry Jones, uh, Andy Thackeray as well, who, who was brilliant for us. But I'd have Carlos pushing on and give us the width on the right-hand side um, with the legs that he's got. So two central midfielders, then deeper line central midfielders. And I've gone for an all-left-footed midfield four here in a, in a box. So two deep line midfielders, Peter Ward, Darren Ferguson, Nice. Um, Peter Ward and Darren, fantastic set pieces, obviously. And uh, any set pieces we get in and around the box, we've got two brilliant left footers there who'd argue till their heart's content who would be taking them. Um, notable mentions in there, I suppose, defensive midfielders, Wayne, maybe. Uh, also, Mike Lake. Uh, I'd say yours is more of an attacking midfielder. In Rush, obviously, you can't go without mentioning Rushy and what his influence had. Jimmy Case, Danny Williams, you know, some fantastic midfielders we've been lucky to have over the years. Um, so they would be my twin screen on my two defensive midfielders, two attacking midfielders then, and, and there's going to be eyebrows raised here, but I'll explain the reasons why in a second. So I'd have Mickey in his younger days okay. as a right 10 and Carl Connolly as a left 10. Reason being that Carl can drift from that left 10 sort of roll out wide and can go there for goal kicks and use his head and ability. And Mickey then can drift from the right 10 into sort of a, more of a central area behind the front two. So there's a lot of thinking gone behind I know, this. I love it. I'm, I'm having the element here watching this. <laughs> um, but yeah, Carl, obviously, the way we used to play um, under Flinney was like back goalkeeper back four, midfield three, Carl out on his own and then two yeah. up front. This is similar. Um, notable mentions there, obviously, as well for, for um, Neil Wainwright, Wally, as we used to call him, and Kizza, God rest his soul, as, um, as wide players, albeit on the other side, on the right. Um, final two selections then. Really tough again here. The whole thing is tough, but I've set my stall out. Um, Steve Walken and, and Ben Oak from, obviously, promotion year. Uh, a good mix between the two of them, I think. Uh, no one can argue with that. But just the way Ben, who obviously run the, you know, the channels, got in areas for us, and, and Steve, the way he held the ball up, I think would be a good mix. And notable mentions up there, Neil Roberts, Andy Morrell, Truns, Chris Armstrong, Lee Jones, Kev Russell, Dean Spink, the list goes on and on and on. Um, so, yeah, goalkeeper 4 2, two, two. That's my team. Set. I, I think we'd go on and, and do all right. More importantly, 
Um, I think we've got flair in there, mate. I think we've got yep. goals in us, and I think we'd be solid at the back as well as a threat from set pieces. Love it. Absolutely brilliant team, guys. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant team. You didn't give yourself a mention, though? Oh, no, 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 no. No, always, one rule in life I've always had, let other people think what, what, what they feel of you and never really been one for blowing my own trumpet. Why See, would you? I like that. In our very first episode of this, Mark McGregor, straight away, the first name on the team sheet, Mark McGregor. <laughs> but no, he did say, because he thought nobody else would pick him. Uh, so he I think he's better than Carlos, does he? Is that well, what say? See, to me, you open up like a whole can of worms with that, because Carlos at his best was as a, as a wing back or that, that more attacking side. So I don't know, if you go on an out and out right back in a flat back four, to me, I don't know, I'd probably I'd probably be leaning towards Maka. I'd probably concede from Carlos and from me asking Carlos to play so high, our weakness would be down the left-hand side. Where yeah. it is, you know, you might have Macker on the bench and come in and tighten us up a little bit. And um, yeah, but as as to, in terms of comparisons with players, I've got that many players down here. Yeah, I, we could be a little night, mate. Should Truns make it in as a front behind the front two all day long? Should Mickey be in there all day long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then it, it's like, who do you leave out? If you bring in Lee Trundle, who, who drops oh, out? And you can't, yeah. if you've got Ben and walking together, that's 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 a partnership. Yeah, tough exercise, mate, that. But um, sorry to anybody that feels that they should have been in the starting 11. I couldn't find a space for you, Andy, as well. I know you've got a decent left foot, but <laughs> I couldn't find anywhere for you in the team. So you'll be starting from the bench on Saturday, mate. Ah, uh, disappointed. Disappointed. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll dig out my uh, me old World Cups <laughs> and clean them oh, up yeah. just in case. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, brilliant. Uh, guys, this has been absolutely brilliant, mate. Um, uh, thank you so much for giving us so much time. This has been, it's like it's getting longer and longer each week. I thought nobody would stop me away, right? Then Mark Cartwright went longer. And I've got a feeling this, by the time it's all put together, might even be a little bit longer than that. But it's um, it's been fun, mate. It's been fun. Really appreciate it. Good. No, I appreciate you inviting me. And, um, you know, obviously from our perspective, you, you do a brilliant job for it. It's, it's You give up your own time and everything. And, um, from a 90s legends point of view, it's it needs somebody like yourself to get involved in this. And obviously, uh, thank you for me for, on behalf of the legends, for dedicating so much time to it. You know, we all appreciate how long it takes to edit this kind of thing and sit here for uh, hour after hour listening to X players ramble on. So, uh, yeah, appreciate it. Oh, no worries. Uh, no worries at all. It's like I'm in my element, happy just to sit back and chat to, a, to former X and players. Doesn't get much better than that. So we've got Good. all, yeah, all, well, this will be the fifth episode. The four other episodes are available on your Spotify, your iTunes, your TuneIn, your Stitcher, your, wherever you get your podcasts, just by searching the Rex and Legends Lounge podcast. That's Mark McGregor, episode one, John PD Legend, John PD Legend, well, like, like John Legend and PD mixed together. John PD <laughs> Morris, the chairman of the Rex and Legends, episode two. Then we've got Neil Weir, episode three, Mark Cartwright, episode four, and this, episode five, Gareth Owen. Um, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, retweet, all that good stuff. Find us on YouTube with the same, um, all in association with Hill Street Social. And, uh, and guys, hopefully we'll see you on the pitch soon. Brilliant. Look forward to it, Andy. Thanks again.
Love with 